Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, I'm oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools, and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. In today's episode, we chat to a vet who, in her relatively short career, has managed to encourage and inspire tens of thousands of vets and wannabe vets through a popular veterinary Instagram account, Louisa underscore the underscore vet. And after our interview, I can count myself as one of the many people who have benefited from her infectious enthusiasm. Dr. Louisa Graham is a UK-based small animal veterinarian. Because of a childhood that she describes as surrounded by animals, she always knew that she could only ever be a vet. Since qualifying, she has worked in small animal practices across the UK as both practitioner and in managerial and mentor roles. She has continued her education while working, gaining a certificate in advanced veterinary medicine in small animal medicine after a few years in, in practice. We cover a lot of ground in our conversation with Louisa, discussing topics like how she stays motivated, the struggles she faced during her early career, why a good support network is so important and what that network looks like, especially in your first job. And on the topic of first jobs, we talk about finding that right first job and what your future employees care and don't care about. Louisa gives us advice about managing your expectations, becoming a mini specialist, avoiding what she calls the comparison trap, maintaining perspective and, most importantly, having fun. I think that's enough from us. Please enjoy this conversation with the effervescent and all around lovely Dr. Louisa Graham. And when you get to the end, keep listening for our surprise bonus section. Hi, Louisa. Hi. Hi, everybody. Good morning, also, Louisa. Oh, and also Hubert. Here, she, here he is. Hi, um, uh, for those who don't know Louisa, uh, she is an Instagram famous vet with 13 and a half thousand followers. Um, and one of the things that actually drew me to, to following uh, Louisa on Instagram was the fact that her, her cases, um, if you follow me on Instagram, you, you, you probably would like posting clinical cases, uh, which provide tips and hints and tips and, and sort of insight on, on how to tackle those difficult things. And Louisa's Instagram is full of those insightful, um, cases, which can add perspective and, and help you get through those things. If you see them in practice. Um, and it was through uh, an Instagram story that actually we connected, oh gosh, maybe almost a year ago now. Um, and since then, we've had several chats back and forward uh, around cases and, and it's led to discussions of, on other aspects. And then it was, it was through these, these, these discussions where I, where I felt that um, you'd be a, a, an awesome candidate to, to have a chat to on this podcast, as I can see that you've gone through quite a lot through your career. Um, and also um, still 
have or still up is passionate about your career and also sharing and sharing that with other people around the world. So again, thank you for coming on. And yeah, did you have anything you want to say? Thank you. That's such a lovely introduction. No, um, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, it's been great. Uh, we've obviously connected over Instagram, which seems so far away from how you think you, you communicate with people in you know the veterinary world. Um, and it's been great. We've shared cases. Um, I've absolutely loved putting all my cases on um, just because I think, you know, I love being able to show, you know, new vets or older vets or whoever, just what we see in general practice, that it's not all amazing. It's not all sad. It's not all bad. It's actually really fun if you make it. And um, I just think this whole social networking that we've got now is just completely revolutionized the veterinary profession and the veterinary world and how we can communicate with each other. So I think it's fab. And thank you so much for inviting me to speak to you both. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm I'm thrilled as well to to have you. <laughs> now I'm going to kick off with a with the first first question. Um, the so there's there's about the, according to Instagram about thirteen thousand people out there who who know what you look like and they know what you do on your day to day life, but they don't know much else about you. And I'm pretty sure they'd no. love to know what what makes Louisa tick and what she's all about. So in our in the preparation for this interview, you you alluded to a story that I think could go a long way towards explaining what you're about. Um, could you please tell us about a, how you wanted to rescue a dog when you were, when you were a youngster? And if I, if I can give you a clue as to the story, let's just say breaking and entering. Uh, <laughs> like when I think about this now, I'm so, I'm quite like um, a, a bolshy sort of person, but it did so much younger. But um, yeah, so I think, I think when you speak to a lot of vets, they, normally have some sort of story that solidifies what they want to be um also i probably was just a bit gobby and a bit of attitude problem you know should have had an asbo but yeah essentially i mean it was um at my family's house and i remember being on my computer i don't know what i was doing probably on like msn messenger or something ridiculous and um i remember this little poodle black poodle cross um that was dragging it it was screaming and it was dragging its legs across the the main road so my house overlooked the main road mm. we had a big driveway and uh, i knew this dog because it was always running around like an absolute lunatic and we knew the people that owned it and we knew that they just kind of let the dog run around and then it you know so i knew where it lived um yeah. so i ran out to this dog and tried to bite me obviously <laughs> so i chucked my coat on it i was like you little bugger and um i picked it up and i and i ran um at the time it seemed really far but i don't know it's probably like 100 yards <laughs> um and uh yeah knocked on the door and um went to the owners and said look you, i think your dog's been run over or something at the time i don't know I'm just a young teenager like it needs to go to the vets now and they're like yeah yeah fine um just put it on the sofa so i kind of walked in the house i remember there was just like pizza boxes all over the floor um and uh, put it on the sofa came home and spoke to my dad my dad bear in mind who is like a head teacher at the time of two huge sixth form colleges um a governor really well known in the area um so i came home and i was like dad i'm really upset this is what's happened and he and i can't really remember whether he said I could or not but anyway I, I was so upset I ran back to the house and I just ran I just walked into the house and this dog was still on the sofa shaking and I just said look I'm just going to take your dog <laughs> so yeah went in took the dog um and 
took it back to my dad's house, my parents' house. He got us in the car, we drove to the vets and I obviously dropped the dog off. And it's only when you're older that you realize, but I didn't hear anything else about the dog and I never saw the dog again. Um, but I, when I phoned the practice, she, she was basically saying that they couldn't give me any information, yeah, but yeah. I never saw the dog. But what she did say was that it had been, um, she thinks it had been shot by an air rifle. Oh. So, oh, yeah, so at the time I was, yeah, I was really mad and really sad that the, they hadn't taken it to the vets. And I was really angry at the vets for like, why can't you just tell me what happened and why can't I pay for it? Sort of like my mm. family helped them. It, it's now that you realize actually it's not for them to just give out information. So, yeah. yeah and I remember thinking, right, not having that. That's me. I'm, I'm going to vet school. That's so me. Do, you, do you think that was the, the decider that was the... Um, I the, would say that's the one, the one thing that I remember, and it was the final push. I was brought up with dogs um, all my life, so I always knew that I wanted to work with them. But that was—I remember thinking, "Yeah, that's me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be that person at the other end." That's my parents, my mum loves that story. She absolutely loves it. I mean, it does say a lot, doesn't it? It does. Um, I think it, well, I think it paints, a, paints a good picture. Well, good in, good in the way that it's for the animals, probably. No, <laughs> it's breaking houses. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, it demonstrates, uh, I suppose, you know, like just really standing for something that you believe in. Um, yeah. And also just that's that's bravery and courage there. You know? Yeah. It was, was um, a... it was, I was proud of myself for doing it. Um, although at the time, probably <laughs> thought before I actually should have maybe spoken to someone about it but yeah it was it was what i needed to do and the dog got somewhere so uh, that's absolutely and and is it do you think it's that primary desire to do it to, to do what's best for an animal that still keeps you going is that is that what mo motivates you yeah and i think um we get a lot of um, jared probably gets the same but we get a lot of questions about like, how do you keep motivated like you know and it's not all about oh, we'll go to the gym and it's, it's actually like um Jared and I had a discussion um <laughs> about a case of the day and it's cases seeing animals and not maybe not feeling that you're doing as much as you could do for them or seeing them suffering and you think right and no I'm gonna get better at that and I'm gonna right, I'm gonna do this and I think seeing the patients seeing the animals and the owners that's what motivates me to keep going and be better. Um, so yeah, natural animals. Mm. It's, a, it's a really, it's a really powerful source of motivation that you that you just talked about. It's like an internal drive to yeah. really overcome challenges and things and just improve yourself. And it, and I totally agree with with what with what you said there. That and I and I and I believe that having that motivation come from a such a pure source. Um, from a desire to help is is like i think it's critical i think that's critical and would you i suppose agree that that's critical for a long term sort of success and how would you say continued improvement in this career or personal improvement yeah i think it's if i split it up like it's personal improvement because i I will know that there are cases every day where I'll feel I was a bit weaker at that aspect of it. And that will make me think, right, well, I may not have been able to address that as much as I would have done. So I'm going to get better at that area. And that's where we then choose CPD or we'll listen, go on courses or we'll read books about it. Um, so I think for personal development, but also for 
you know better in for the, the animals as well so I think it works both ways and I think it's really important for my career to keep learning and keep going and this then the animals are the reason I do it and the more sick they get or the more injuries or illnesses I see then that'll that'll keep me going keep me ticking over because not not one case is the same the, the last two days has shown me that not one case is the same regardless of what you think you know yeah I think it's also important to to keep that in mind, why why are you doing it on those days where you are overstretched and exhausted and it can be easy to start thinking, why the hell am I doing this to myself? Yeah, and to, yeah. to have that in the back of your head to go, oh yeah, that's why. That's, um, mm. I, I, there's, a, there's a very good reason that, I, that I'm putting myself through stuff that sometimes can be very challenging. Yeah, absolutely. L Louisa, you you shared to us oh sorry louisa you shared with us that um your first job was in lancashire and yep. is that how you say it lancashire yeah lancashire yeah oh, lancashire. Northern. lancashire you said lancashire lancashire uh, lancashire lancashire so yeah <laughs> so you shared with us that your first job was in lancashire and um in a small amount of practice but then kind of it seemed like as if well, the impression i got was that it's quite a it was a, a quite a varied first job involving um not just you know general practice work but after hours as well what was yeah. that like as, as a new graduate kind of going into those kind of in, into that environment yeah so um i qualified i think on friday and started work on a monday <laughs> uh, oh okay yep one of those you needed a pay uh, you, you needed you yeah, needed your car you needed to work now <laughs> i was like oh my god i have no money um yeah. so it was i'll be honest extremely stressful um i was lucky in my first six months i did have a really lovely um senior vet that was actually a stand-in for someone but um she was really helpful but i was lucky in terms of my general practice i actually felt relatively confident with what i knew i knew that i was going to see loads of new things every day but like consulting wise that wasn't what got me because i spent a lot of time um with my university they prepared us for consultation so they put us in we had clinical rotation so we didn't have mm -hmm. a hospital where we stayed and mm -hmm. in one place we we went to multiple different practices so we were put in i don't know whether you guys are familiar with them but like the rspca and mm -hmm. the pdsa and the charity so we were put in there and we were made to do consultations and things so that sort of side I enjoyed and I just enjoyed seeing new things the out of hours was terrifying um mm. we had God, going back quite a long time we had backup to begin with and um, at the time when I started the, the hospital wasn't as busy as what it got it got silly um we did have a backup that would come in if we needed them, but that stopped after six months. And you can imagine within six months of doing maybe one night in eight, you're still, you're still an absolute juvenile. Like, and it, and it was really, really, really stressful. Um, and it was more stressful because of the hours. If anything, it was mm. do all day, you do all night for the weekend. Mm. And I do remember, I remember, I remember just crumbling and crying because it was so stressful and having yeah. like 70, patients and and it got too much and that's as time went on as as I got a bit more senior in the practice um that's when we started to put implement changes because I was one of a group of people that stayed and I think there must have been about 10 people that left before I did and um we put into practice having like a mentor scheme so 
when I was obviously confident being out of hours, I would come off the rotor, we would have a new vet that went on and we would be their backup. They would contact us for phone advice. We'd be in there. So they weren't left alone. Um, and and it, it was really intimidating. But in hindsight, I think that made me more confident quicker. Mm. But that might be because of my personality. Whereas mm. I think those that are a bit more vulnerable to, I don't know, uh, the dynamics of being a vet, the, the, the stresses and the, the, the losses and whatever would, that would really affect somebody. Um, and it did, we lost a lot of vets through they mm. just, uh, they'd, they'd leave, but, um, yeah, out of hours, I'll be honest, it was absolute nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nightmare. I, I, I agree with you. I did out of hours for on call for, for 10 plus years. And yeah. that was the, I, I wanted to get out of veterinary science because of it. I just, I just yeah. never found that, yeah. found that out. I think I would have bailed if I, yeah. if I could have, it's, it's torture. And I don't know whether it's the same with yourselves, but we now are struggling to find vets that will go to a job that does out of hours. Mm. Now, whether that's because they want the, uh, like a bit of an easier role, whether it's because they not necessarily want an easier role, they want a role that might be less stressful for them. They, mm. They're looking their health or they've heard horror stories we are struggling to find vets that will do the night roles and mm. in which case there are practices in my area huge practices that are stopping doing their own out of hours for their vets to keep mm. their vets to look after mm. them mm. where and they're, they're sourcing them to the, the the big out of hours companies where i'm going to be working for yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know whether you guys see that as well but less vets are wanting to do out of hours now yeah um yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, well, with, with within my little sphere of Brisbane, um, there's been a, a, a big shift in terms of the number of practices that would offer after hours. Some are trying to shift back to doing later mm. hours, like mm -hmm. closing yeah. at nine o'clock rather than six yeah. o'clock. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, but even then, veterinarians are still hesitant with that and, and not very many people take that on. I, I do believe that, you know, when you're talking about self-improvement before and desire to improve so you can be a better vet for your, for your patients and also, you know, for yourself too, like that in a sense is, is, a, is a growth mindset there. And I think when you're talking about, you know, why some people may not want to take on that kind of position and take on those challenges, I think it does come down to, to mindset and, and seeing things as a challenge where they can improve upon as opposed to something that's overwhelming and not even wanting to step in that direction. But um, like I was, I was reading an article about um, what veteran, what new graduate students want. They did a big survey of, of uh, students in the U S and they talked about uh, work-life balance being one, mm. not necessarily money, but work-life balance, yep. positive um, team environment, but mentorship was a big one. So I'm quite interested to know, so like uh, we have a mentorship program at a hospital, which is quite extensive and it's, it's taken about five years to develop, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily have to be extensive. Um, but how did you start in terms of, uh, I suppose this is a question for, for practices or practice owners or even uh, experienced clinicians who have always thought about developing a mentorship program. Um, yeah. What advice would you have for them if, you know, like given that you were one of the people who started it within that hospital? Yeah, so I think because I'm in the generation where I'm like the, the the middle type of vet, you'll get like the newbies 
the really, really established ones that have been there 20 years and then the in-betweeny ones. Um, so I would say to people that you have to look after, you have to look after these vets. You have to be, you don't necessarily have, like I think these mentor schemes and these internships are great. So we've got um, a lovely guy at the Prax Sam Low coming out at the moment and he's on one. And I think he feels a little bit frustrated sometimes because he feels like he's being held back, but equally he's getting this structure where he's learning to walk before he can run, um, which I think is good. And um, the the mentor scheme that myself and some of the other vets, um, you know, we we just loved it. We it wasn't like we were babysitting them, but it meant that they could have somebody to come to just to discuss a case or just a phone for a chat out of hours, and just to have somebody there, just just to feed them a little bit or just to help them a little bit, um, but actually to give them the confidence that they can say, no, come on, what, what do you think about this? What, what, what would your differentials and things be? Um, but I do think for a practice, I mean, I'm not a practice owner, but if I was one and I was taking on a newly grad, uh, you know, newly qualified, I would have to be able to put the time and or have staff where we could um, mentor them. Otherwise I just think being left alone um, could be potentially disastrous for some people, not only the yeah. patients, but for for the vets because they you know it only takes one bad bitch spay and yeah. mm. confidence well, we've got i know a vet she's a lovely vet and she'll never ever ever she's brilliant operating but she will never do a bitch spay ever again because of something that happened in the first few years of her being a vet and then um, she, she didn't have the, the support to to nope, help her didn't dig have, herself. didn't have the support and i think a lot of vets again this goes back to you know being a business owner it's easy for me to say i i, I love helping people but if i was a business owner, would I have the time to invest or spend, you know, budding up with somebody all the time? I think to take on somebody new, you've got to be able to look after them. Otherwise yeah. you shouldn't take them on. Yeah. I think that's the, the key there. So, so just to sort of summarize or reflect back upon what you said there. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily having this big structure in place where, um, you know, it, there's a formal training program, but it's, it's, it can even start with something as simple as having one person, that person feels safe talking to that they know yeah. that they can call for yeah. advice and and sometimes like perspective it's perspective on a case yeah. it's even yeah. perspective on you know their actions or their influence on the outcome you know did i yeah. really do this i gave this drug and this dog died you know was that me yeah. um yeah. and and sometimes it's like hey look that drug is very safe it's really unlikely that you would ever have resulted in that outcome there um, but perspective to stop that whole cycle of thought. Yeah. Yep. The other thing Systems. you mentioned. Sorry, the other thing that you mentioned there is actually asking questions, and I think that's a really powerful thing that a, that a mentor can do because we often think that mentors have to tell, but I think through questioning and ask and and through questioning, what ap what actually happens is you are teaching them how to think. Yeah. If you teach them how to think then what happens is then they can continue to do that after if you just provide them with answers it gets them out of a tight spot that they don't learn so yeah, mm. yeah. and that's it that's the thing so i came from sort of the mentor scheme that didn't it didn't really have a structure it was just so we do in-house cpd would alternate it every month or so so we'd get everybody in and we talk about a case so we'd all find an exciting case that we'd seen and we talk through it um and then when we were a mentor, you'd basically buddy up with somebody. Essentially, you'd have 
um, somebody that could just phone you. And I think it's nice because you you are their friend as well, so that you can have a bit of an informal chat about it. Um, and they can just have that peace of mind. And it was mainly for them being out on call as well, because it just took that the edge off being feeling alone. Um, but equally, these practices um, that have the actual uh, internship schemes, I think they're really great. And I think particularly if you're preparing a student or a vet for going out of hours, for example, I would say, well, I would like you to have done this many cat spays and that many bitch spays and this mm. you know, and things like that. I don't know how your internships things work, but um, that's how the ones I've seen are here. You do this many consults, you get confident with the boosters and then you put you in the urinary infection skin and then you put you in the vomiting and diarrhea and then they put you with the dyspneic cat. So it's kind of easing them in. And I think they're great. Um, mm. I think it works both ways. And I guess it depends on the practice and what staff you've got and, um, you know, I don't know, finances, because if you're an internship program, you have to pay them for that as well, I guess. Oh, I'll tell you what, yeah, owls cost somewhere around about $20,000 to $25,000 per, per person. Yeah. So, well, but, that, but we would invest in that, and we do invest in that because they, it's, it, this is their first step into, our, into their profession, and yeah. their first experience would guide and influence the, their impression of this profession for future and how long they stay in here. Yeah how they handle and manage stress, how they think and approach cases. So, um, And I think that's exactly, exactly it. your first job. It, oh, I cannot stress enough how important your first job is for your shaping your future career and how you, what, and what you think of this profession. I, that you've hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely. Louisa, in your, in your role as a mentor or, or even as your, for your, for your own first job, were there things that, that surprised you at, at how challenging it was? And I'm not talking specifically clinically. Um, mm -hmm. It could be non-clinical things. Were there things that, that you didn't consider as a potential problem um, that then you really struggled with or really challenged you? Or, or, or do you find that in some of the people you mentor that, that, they, that they, they worry about some things, but then there's things they don't worry about that, that blindsides them? Um, I think it depends who you're mentoring. Um, so there are some that don't know I think the things that I struggled with the mentoring were you'd be there's a balance between like being a friend being a mentor and you, you would naturally I'm quite a friendly person you'd familiarize yourself mm. so much with them but one of the things that was quite challenging is they would get used to you being at the end of the phone all the mm. time mm. and you know we were there because the clinic got so busy that if they you know the consults were busying up and there was it was operations they'd like oh can you come in but it was starting to get like well can you come in because we've got two extra consults and unfortunately you know one of the biggest aspects of our job is having to prioritize and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and got something on the table and then something else coming in you, you, you've got to be able to figure out in your head what you do and who you see so I think the hardest thing was be, being there for them but then trying to get them to back off yeah. a little bit yeah, without being well just without being a bit cruel really yeah, um, exactly. but, um otherwise i had i didn't really i i, I enjoyed it I, I just think it's i enjoyed it i got a lot from them they made me need to learn because i would forget things or they mm. would correct me and um, mm. but i think yeah a, a challenge was that they'd become used to you being there and at some point we're not going to be there for them all the time yeah and 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 in terms of when you are when you are a young vet or the young vets you deal with 
are there things not specifically mentoring related that that vets struggle with that you that they didn't expect or that you struggled with when you started as a new vet unexpected stresses i suppose um i didn't realize how tired i was gonna be Mm -hmm. um i mean yeah (laughs) it's a very it's a very good point that's a very good point my first week at work yeah uh, and on one of the days i was having to write fill in um an epifen monitoring form yeah. I remember thinking, I don't even know what these words are saying. And it was so difficult. <laughs> I remember going to bed at like seven o'clock every night. So um, I think the stresses when I first started were um, trying to not being able to manage my own expectations. I was trying to do so much and I was getting irritated at myself for what I felt like I was failing at and I wasn't giving myself enough time. Yeah, I was knackered. I, I wanted to put myself, I remember staying late to do take a canine out of Greyhound. And in hindsight, I just think, please don't do that, go home. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Generally, like, I think my biggest stresses was, I was probably putting it on myself um, yeah. that I wanted to achieve as much as I could achieve, as quick as I could achieve. And actually probably by doing that, I was going backward steps because I was becoming more tired and probably getting a bit irritable. <laughs> you wonder if that's a, that's a personality trait of, of people who are most likely to to apply for or get into the into the whole veterinary program is that you have a bunch yeah. of people who are used to achieving and then you yeah. put them in a situation where they're not just gonna be perfect That's from it. the start yeah. and it drives you absolutely nuts. And and you're probably your employer and your colleagues are, are not expecting half of what you're expecting of yourself. Um, exactly. they they expect that you're gonna struggle and be slow and stuff and you're the only one who yeah. <laughs> is, is that then, tough on yourself. I, I mean, it. I mean, I know that when I've got students, I know that they're going to be slow. But yep. again, when I was there, I guess the stress on the flip, unfortunately, there were bad sides of my, my first job. But it was, um, you were, I put myself forward to be in one of their busiest clinics. Um, and I, that was me again, be, wanting to achieve loads. But then you do get the pressures on you in certain places with certain people in certain practices that are very busy mm. to be quick, to be fast, to do your yeah. dentals. Really. Um, and that is really stressful that mm. you are, I don't think there are, there are vets that, you know, have the newer ones and they don't know how, they don't know how to be leaders. And that was stressful because you're kind of, we call it digging out blind. You kind of just have to sink or swim. You, you, yeah. you, you do your own thing. And, um, I was lucky to begin with and then maybe not as lucky that I didn't have someone there to help me and guide me. And that was stressful, you know, putting yourself forward for operations where you didn't have someone to physically watch you do it. Mm. And it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. It was hard. Hmm. That's a... Hey, Gerardo, go. Oh, I was going to um, ask you a question there. You said managing your own expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a That's a tricky one because I've often thought how can we like it's it's the drive and the high expectations of veterinarians themselves which pushes them towards getting better wanting to do better and 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 you know mm-hmm. continuing professional development there's a heap of continuing professional development that we have to go through right yeah. um and we'll and it at what stage at what point did you get to where you went actually you know i am i do have too high expectations of myself <clears throat> or I am okay with what I know because I also then um, 
am aware that it's impossible to know everything. So the, like the, the, the fear of the unknown is not as bad because you've accepted that you just don't know or can't know everything. Yeah. Like yeah. What, what, what stage did you get to when you were, you know, uh, you felt comfortable with that? I would, I would genuinely only say this has happened to me recently and I'm just short of six years in, like it's not, um, cause I only completed my medicine, extra medicine qualification in April. Um, and then I knew that my focus was more on that. And when you figure out, maybe if you do figure out that you prefer one aspect of veterinary medicine, cause there's a bazillion, mm. um, then naturally you, you will let the side down a little bit on something else, but I accept that. And I accepted that probably, um, I'd probably say mainly in the last six months, but also when I started locuming, I knew that I was good enough to locum, but I was never going to be someone that could go in and, you know, do a, uh, like a fracture repair on a hip or something like you, you accept it. Mm. Um, but I think as you get more confidence in your own skills, which comes with time, you get confident in thinking, well, I don't know that, but I'll either find it out or, there'll be someone else in this industry or in my practice that is good at that. So I'm going to go and talk to them. And I think that does come with, I think that just comes with growing up and maturing into being a vet and just, yeah, I think I'd yeah, say so. when I was revising for my certificate, I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to know all of this. So I might as well just try and figure out what, you know, I will remember and, and, and use that and I'll let other vets and other colleagues help me if there are things that I'm, you know, feel weaker at, and I'm fine with that. It's a good question. How do you, how do you get that into? How do you, how do you instill that concept into into new grads? If you think about it, it's almost like your university. And I don't know if I'm actually asking you. I'm just just musing on the on, on, <laughs> the, on that point. Your your course and your university creates the impression that they want you to know everything. So when you get mm. out of uni, you go, shit, I'm supposed to know everything. Um, and then it takes you a while to go to 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 reach that point where you go well I, you know I'll never ever know everything and I just need to yeah. accept my limitations and 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 continuously improve. But it, it is a. Well, I say to my um like the vet students that come in or, or sorry that or the newly qualified I'll say you'll never know more than what you do now because yeah. their brains so full of everything um and you know, I tell them that when, as soon as you start within six months, you'll have lost some of the itty bitty knowledge, but you have so much more wider knowledge of cases and interpreting things. And sometimes the nitty gritty things actually don't, don't always matter. Yeah. Um, unless you really do need to, you know, figure out the, I don't know, pharmacokinetics of certain drugs because of X, Y, and Z, but, um, my vet school, and I'm, I don't know how it works. We, we had, um, we had something called day one competencies that we had to have mm, before mm. we qualified. You have, did you, you guys have the same? Yeah. I, I didn't, but I, I've actually seen your, your, your list have through, you seen it, through, yeah. through researching for this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we had, um, we have a day one competencies and a year one competencies, although most people will never look at their year ones because they in within year one, they'll have got them anyway in my doubt. But when, when I was doing my finals, um, we and I was on rotations. You just have a list of all the skills that you should have to be your first year in uh, your, you know, to start practice. Mm. And you'd have got examined on those in your final year. So I was equipped for day one, but I wasn't equipped for the rest of being a vet. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's taught. I don't. They they don't really teach you all of what to expect, really, do they? Yeah. 
which is why we're launching this podcast. <laughs> just going back over something you said about focus um and and how it relates to your own expectations mm-hmm. I, I've, I've recently heard of this concept of being a specialist not a generalist mm-hmm. um so when you're saying being specialist not necessarily referring to actually being a surgical specialist or something but uh-huh you should have your particular area of focus mm-hmm. rather than actually have just the desire to know everything. Like I want to read a little bit about behavior today. I'm going to yeah. read a little bit about this today. And what happens is you kind of dibble dabby, get overwhelmed because you never know enough of something to feel comfortable with it. Yep. So um, having your particular area of focus for the month the month my, yeah. my particular area of focus yep, yep, is yep. going to be endocrine i'm going to read about diabetes and uh, the management of diabetes in cats and dogs and i'm going to read up on hyperadrenocorticism and hyperadrenocorticism and, thi- and thyroid disease because of the four main things that happen right mm-hmm. and then you walk away with a an increased level of of not just knowledge but also confidence because yep. you focus in that one area yep, yep. So, I, I, so you go, you go. No, no, I was going to say I totally agree. I'm, I'm, I've, I've come to the same realization that that's a great pathway to to take is to is to pick something and say I'm going to get really good at this, and even ask your colleagues to say if you have a send me your skin cases because I'm going to yeah. I'm going to be the the practice dermatologist and, and mm-hmm. do that, and then when you get bored of that, whether it's after a month or after six months, okay, and then set yourself a new challenge and go, okay, what's next? What's my next? specialty as you say yeah. it, do, it does knowing a lot about one thing actually does breed a lot of confidence it makes you it makes you feel it more valued fun. in your practice it makes you proud of what you can achieve and then yeah, yeah and I, I think it's a it's a, it's a great approach yeah i think i i agree um and i think um i've just noticed that more and more people like i get a lot of messages so i love med i love veterinary i i i'm more than happy i've come to terms with the fact that i'm love being a general practitioner although i don't do like the orthopedic side mm. i am more of a, they call me the pill popper so i'm the medicine i i, I treat the treat the things um so i have come to terms with being my general practitioner but my area of focus is medicine mm. and i love that i can bring that and i love when you work in a big multidisciplinary team that they can be like oh just go and run that past lou or oh, mm. i'll go and run that past somebody else mm. um and, it, and it's great but it's not uh, it's not my that's my main area but I will still try and focus on oh, I'm going to do a bit of neurology today and I'm going to still work up that case but I think mm. absolutely the fact as soon as I got my certificate um, pe- people love it people just absolutely love it and it well anyway it makes me more employable yeah. in the future as well so I think yeah. it gives you that it does give you this confidence that you have achieved something extra which is nice yeah Gerardo? Oh, I was just going to yeah, I'm just listening. Like, um, and you're talking about uh, competencies before, and I think that's a great thing, actually. And um, uh, we've just sort of rolled out that sort of concept with our with our own sort of training programs. What would we like these people to? What would we like our vets to to um, be able to achieve in in three months and then six months in a year? Yeah. Um, but um, I suppose that you mentioned working in a in a multidisciplinary hospital, and maybe one of the key things there is and it all comes back to managing expectations and um, having your particular area of focus and things but would it be the idea that 
um, you know, you just, you, you're comfortable with what you know, but it's, it's the lack of comparison. So, you know, being, being, you go through uni and you can't help but ask the student next to you or your friend, you know, what did you get in that result? And they go, oh, should I ace that assignment? I got 90%. And you're like, holy shit, I worked three times as long and I just passed that. You know, and, and, I, and I feel and I hear all the time this, the comparison with others as opposed to a comparison within yourself. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if you set yourself something that you want to achieve and that's, and that's your objective for yourself and the market for yourself is you and your own improvement as opposed to the market being an external source mm -hmm. such as a colleague, such as a friend, because like for me, I used to think that not being able to author, do orthopedics, I wasn't in a vet. Like I can do orthopedics, I can try for leg, you know, somewhat that's orthopedics, right? <laughs> um, but I, I can't do cruciates, you know, I, I, I've never done a fracture repair. I've done yeah, a, a fracture yeah. removal. <laughs> but I, I take legs off, have a look at my cat already. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but um, maybe it's, it's, something you said there which kind of triggered the thought that it's 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 a comparison within yourself and that should be where you where you should look for internal motivation where you look where you should actually kind of self-assess yourself based on your improvements within you as opposed to looking mm. at other people and comparing to them yeah, yeah and absolutely. i think one again and it goes back to because i get so many messages and i get quite a lot of worrying up like messages or people upset because they're comparing themselves to other people like jesus i went to vet school i failed my first i failed an animal health and welfare exam for christ's sake who failed animal health and welfare? what I the hell hard. i found that hard at uni another <laughs> <laughs> thing asked about how many people frog has um how many white like, frog has frog has i didn't even know frogs <laughs> um but i I do think this is a major thing because naturally we are competitive people yeah. and it's very easy to look at other vets and think, oh, and I think this is one thing with the, the newer ones. They'll panic at what their colleagues say they do, even though it's a lot of bollocks. They've not done it. They've, they've, they've done six mm. boosters. They've not done a bitch spay. Um, like I think there is this idea that we have to be better than each other when actually yeah, absolutely. I used to think, oh no, like my friends do orthopedics, they get to play with drills. Like, yeah, oh yeah. my god, I literally give like injections, and you know, I'm not as good. Um, I, yeah, again, that comes with time. For me, it came with time. Like, I realised, well, I'm, I'm, I might be a bit more confident, or you know, seemingly better in one area than you are, but you're better and seemingly more confident in your area, and together, this is great. Um, mm. but I think there are a lot of new grads, and I, and it happened to me. Uh, that and you're recently qualified where you have this competitiveness uh -huh. with your colleagues yeah. whereas actually you should be competitive with yourself you should think yeah. well okay I'm going to get better at this and I'm going to get better at this yeah I, I, I definitely think it's something to be wary of as, as, as new grads because it's important to have a support network but I think what and I've seen this with, with um, several young vets including my wife and she just qualified she's a vet as well um mm -hmm. so you have the support network of friends from uni which is great and they have their little whatsapp chat group or something like that mm -hmm. but then as you say the, there's an underlying tone of competitiveness so they'll yeah. 
they'll chat on there and you want to offload, but then they inevitably she'll read it and go, what? She struggled with this surgery. I haven't even tried that. And, and there's yeah, definitely a risk. Cool. Of, I, I think it's, it's important to carefully select your support group or, or be very wary of, of that, of, of your support yeah, group turning into a, a competitive environment. That's it. That, I think that's it. And you need to be able to support you, support each other, but also not brag, not boast, because a lot of it's, like I said, it's it's probably bullshit anyway. Let's yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> you know, we all did it like, yeah, I did this today. You didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, being, you know, not trying to run before you can walk. It's just don't worry about what other people are getting up to or whatever. Like it's not, it's not going to change the type of vet that you are if you, do it at a different pace to them or whether you do it at all um and i think that's one thing that i try and teach the students that we have that not to worry about the exam marks of other people or whether they're doing this and you're not it's totally irrelevant totally mm. relevant mm. all righty so i'm going to change tech a little bit if that if that's all right we're talking about okay. students um i think lots of the listeners looking at at specifically gerardo and your your followers and fans are, are probably students and they've all just finished exams or just just kicking back in in, in holidays um, so i want to take you back to your student days um as, as in part just again to 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 get back to getting to know louisa a little bit better um please tell us about your one exam story just just i just remembered mentioning exams you said something about a, a shopping list or something oh, <laughs> oh this is awful. I, I still get like palpitations over this. So, um, honestly, it was, um, I, I'm trying to think, it must have been one of the most, the, the end of the exams and everyone's like really sad and deflated and underwhelmed by life. At the, and it was veterinary public health, which you're going to work in an abattoir. It just, mm. I actually think as well, I was going through a breakup. Mm. This adds to the story. I feel like I was going through a breakup. I was an emotional anyway. Mm. Um, I and I still do. I've got writing on my hands now. Writing on this, I write notes sometimes on my hands. Um, and I remember this particular lady who worked on reception um, at university. She came round and she looked at my hand, and I thought, "What's she looking at there?" She came over and specifically looked at my hand, and then I turned behind me, and she was speaking on the phone, she picked up the phone from, we were doing it in a lab, in like, um, in the dissection lab and she'd phoned up. And at the end of the exam to me, when everyone else was leaving and asked me to come into the, to this separate room and she was like, I'm sorry, I think we're gonna have to disqualify you. Because... And I was just like, I'll stop you there, what is going on? And they had to get the Dean of the university who's absolutely hilarious oh, and he's fantastic, Gary, he's called Gary England. Um, he came and looked at my hand. It had to be photographed before he got there. And he came and looked at my hand and he was like, no. And it literally had like, I think it had like cornflakes on it. There was absolutely on it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're making me feel like I failed. And then I had to walk home because I didn't have a list to get home. And it was so it, yeah, so a note to myself, do not write on your hands around exams and also wash your hands more <laughs> wash your hands more is is 101 in terms of reducing inspe- inf- infection spread in hospitals yeah. that is that is it yeah so unless you're very clever and had a very ingenious code for so corn cornflakes is code for <laughs> exactly 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 so louisa speaking about student days and exams and 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 that um 
have you got any any tips or advice if, if you deal with students these days that you could that you, that you could give to any potential student listeners out there just regarding exams and keeping a keeping a level head um so i think one thing that i realized about exams and you have to come to terms with it is you kind of go from we are naturally perfectionists and we, we want to achieve the best. And I think you have to accept that you just need, you just need to pass. Um, you, you, it doesn't matter whether you get top, top marks, you you know, a pass is a pass is a pass. Yep. It's not going to change you, you becoming a vet. It's not your grades don't determine the type of vet that you're going to be. You know, like I, say, I used to say to people, you know, I, I had friends that, well, maybe not friends, that would be they would achieve so much in exams but they wouldn't have been the type of vet that i was they yeah. wouldn't they they and so i knew that that to me i was okay with and i think you just have to be okay with doing what you can the best you can do and my dad always just said to me doesn't matter what happens as long as you try your best and grades i think everyone panics about what grades they get and in the, in the grand scheme of things no one's going to ask you what you got nobody cares nobody cares gerardo you guys are, are, are big employers how, how much do you care about somebody's grades at university when you're looking for for a vet to work for you there's there's, there's a couple of things i look for one is their employment history unless they're a locum but if they're not a locum and they've locumed a lot then that's a good, that's concerning because it's pretty unlikely that 12 practices are going to have an issue with that um it's pretty unlikely that 12 practices are going to have issues as opposed to that one person having issues, which affected 12 practices. So I think, mm. you know, that's a concern for me yep. is the number of places they've employed at, unless they're a locum. Yep. But I've, I, I don't think I've actually looked at someone's resume. No. I'll look at a cover letter, but the yep. resume I'll leave. Yep. Because when, I'm, when I walk in there, it's, it's, it's really about connecting with them and, 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 and how they are. Yeah, and, exactly. And, their self-awareness self-awareness is a big one for me so i haven't looked at someone's gpa for like the last what, three four years in terms yeah, of exactly yeah exactly so they so the message to the students out there is in the real world nobody gives a crap about how, how well you did in your exams i mean we know that you know that you have to pass i mean i don't know how all the universities work but with ours you you, you couldn't progress into the next year until you passed yeah, yeah. you were only allowed one that was stressful but you just have to pass yep. and you can pass you've got into vet school that's the hardest bit you just gotta pass yep um and just be organized be structured um try not to be hungover all the time <laughs> and um you know just just use your common sense you know just you, you'll you'll pass mm. absolutely mm. exactly um now your 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 bio um I'm veering off track a little bit here, yeah, but I was just interested in it. You you said that you did some volunteering as part of your course in in Thailand and yeah. in India and Namibia. Mm -hmm. That's that's fascinating. That's um, if if you if you could talk about that, would, did you have a favorite out of those places? Um, and did you learn much um, from that? What? Yeah. So I did. So they were all. I mean, probably the same with everybody, but we had to do like I think it was about fifty six weeks extramural studies. Um, you have a set amount of, of different berry farms and pig farms, but you have however many weeks of what you can do as yourself. And I, I wanted to experience, you know, a, being abroad and in different cultures and things. So um, my favourite was working in um, India, uh, the Tree of Life for Animals. I definitely recommend 
depending on where all my listeners all the listeners are from mm-hmm. um in, in india it's fantastic humbling just amazing the things that they can do um and um that was i remember um in a small i wouldn't even call it a it's just a, a rundown building where they just rescue all of these dogs and you see you know a lot of people will never ever see distemper which obviously yeah. we don't, we don't. and every other dog had distemper you'll see rabies you'll see wounds and fractures that you'll do um you'll manage wounds you'll operate it was that it just amazing and it makes you realize how lucky you are and how much more we can do for our animals but one thing I did learn is animals are like they would use the same surgical equipment time and time again and none of these animals would get sick god knows how yeah but uh, that was my favorite and it was just uh it was just yeah really humbling seeing these animals but um I tree of tree of life is it is it a charity or a a tree of life for animals it's an animal charity yeah um it's run by a lady um forget her name but she I think she must have gone on holiday um and didn't want to leave because she saw these street dogs that they hadn't they had no um and yeah she set up the tree of life for animals and um they are they are also on they're on Instagram they're on Facebook um and I follow them and keep in touch with them for experience you get you'll do a lot of neutering but wounds and um you'll see a lot of well amputations because they don't have the facilities to x-ray and things but um yeah, it's really great, and a lot of mange. Yeah. You'll never see a you'll never see mange like you do in these. Places. <laughs> um, but think, uh, yeah, great, great one that one. No, I think it's I think it's a it's a valuable exercise to to step out of your first world ivory tower work wise once in a while and and see, as you say, see see what what things can be like. It gives you a lovely perspective yeah. on on how fortunate. Yeah we are and how fortunate our, our, our patients are even oh, God. Mm. And, and absolutely totally. you have to learn to improvise on your feet to use what you've got um and because you come home and you think oh my god at least you know you can humanely give you know or put animals to sleep in a humane way or yeah. you can give pain relief that they just don't have there um so that was i would definitely recommend that um and I went to, um, yeah, I went to a place called Nankase, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I was a young, I think I was like a mini vet then, I think it was second year, yeah. that was great, that was working in um, an animal sanctuary, and that was a lot of husbandry related things, so working with the baboons and um, the cheetah conservation, which was great. Yeah. Um, we also worked with the the, the, the Bushmen children, which was lovely. Um, so that was not necessarily vetty. It was just a bit of character building, um, seeing different cultures. That was that was really really lovely. Um, and then I worked in yeah, I worked in uh, Chiang Mai. I went to an elephant sanctuary, which very sad, but it was great because it was trying to build awareness about um, you know using the elephants for things that they shouldn't have and the place where I worked is um I don't know whether you follow there's another vet I think it's the tra- there's a traveling vet or a yeah. traveling doctor or something yeah. she's actually there she's working it's called friends of the Asian elephant FAE um and it was absolutely fantastic it's where they started doing prosthesis on the elephants who'd had their limbs blown off oh, I, think wow. the, I think they said it was on the Burma border um so that was amazing and, and then like all these 
you know vets and doctors were coming together to do it which was fantastic but um they made the i think they call them mahouts who own well own in sort of inverted commas uh, these elephants that were mistreating them yeah they make stay in this in this rehab place to learn how to look after them so it was that was also great but obviously not you know not necessarily specific skills i could take home like i'm not going to be treating elephants but again you, you it's 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 comparative you, you you learn different things and different cultures and different ways of treating things and it's great wow spectacular yeah it's actually one thing that i haven't done yet is actually um traveled we're talking a bit before about um going through university and focusing on marks and things and when i um when I was in high school, I didn't do particularly well at high school. And then it was through actually wanting to do more with my kind of life after I graduated from high school, um, because I didn't actually have a career path at all. Um, that I then found sort of science and science was my entry point into veterinary science. Like I'd like mm-hmm. it. I loved anatomy, physiology and biology and, and then that's where sort of I, I found my focus, my field of focus, and that's where I kind of excelled. But it was uh, talking about the journey. Uh, like it sounds like as if you filled your career, Louisa, with 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 sort of a philosophy of sort of the journey. And for me, it was mm-hmm. always the marks and being the best I could based in comparison to marks and things mm-hmm. um, and to others and, and how they went. So I, I went through uni comparing myself a lot to um, um, my fellow colleagues. And I had a really good friend um, and he was straight sevens, you not just incredibly smart um, and incredibly focused. Um, and I, like, I tried really hard to sort of emulate what he did and, and, and it quite, it put quite a lot of pressure on myself. And when I reflect back and listening to um, what you were saying there about where you went and what you did and the things you, saw, you, you you discussed about sort of your philosophy and thoughts around um, Marx and uni, it, it sounded like as if you really did really focus on the journey. Um, the journey, it's like not just the destination, but the journey that actually you've gone through. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I was just, <clears throat> I was eating a mince pie for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. That's a weird thing, the, the, the British obsession with the mince pie. It's not even Probably mince, wrong. it's a fruit pie. <laughs> I never no. got that. <laughs> That's Everyone actually really true. Um, but no, it really was. Can you still hear? Yep. Internet. Oh, that's fine. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm not really a traveler, um, but I knew that I wanted to explore things uh, because I think it's important to you appreciate what you have over here and where you're going to work. Um, and I really, you know, I went from being, you're almost like a big fish in a little pond when you're at college and you know that you're achieving quite well um, to actually being a really tiny, small, insignificant fish that's just about scraping the barrel. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. No means try and know reinforces i was not a top achiever at vet school i wasn't i i was getting you know 51 percent, 52 percent. i failed i had to resit it's just it doesn't determine who you are or some people might be better at one exam than the other it's it, it's not about that and i think you are your exams aren't who you are it's just you know you, you've got to make 
time for other things as well that that will shape you as a vet and, and to me that was having different experiences such as going on these going you know on these placements and I would love to go back to Tolfer I would, I would definitely recommend anyone to go there yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with Gerardo I I haven't done the I've never done the, the charity work thing and it, it is something that's that I, that I feel like I'd love to do. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question. It's a question of when. Where I think when you have the time, specifically again, young vets. I think lots of young vets can be very, very driven and in, in, in a hurry to build their career. And actually, when you have that time and before you have children and that, to to take those opportunities to go to go work somewhere else and try something completely different. You've got forty years to build your career, but those sort of experiences are are so valuable. Um, That's uh, it, and I think we um we do i don't know whether you're the same but we get a lot of students that we try and encourage it anyway but it, again it depends on what they can afford to go to like neutering clinics and things but often they go somewhere abroad on a nice cozy beach mm. um which i think is great to begin with because let's be honest if you well i always say to people if you can do a bitch bay you can pretty much conquer anything yeah so, um especially you know, a, a a fat labrador bitch bay where oh, you put your hands in there it's and it's like someone just poured oil into your surgery. Yeah, or a really skinny whippet cross, some deep-chested breed, which happened to me the other day, and uh, it was the first time I had to have another uh, a senior vet scrubbing with me. So that was yeah, we're not invincible. Yeah, that's for sure. They, uh, I totally agree with the spay thing. I we, I just do emergency <laughs> stuff, so I haven't done spays for. <laughs> For about five years and i'm i don't regret it at all give me any emergency surgery x lab fine yeah. give me a fat labrador spay you'll see me around a mile <laughs> <laughs> oh um i'd look at I'd, how did you want to uh continue on here hubert like the, the internet the, connection slowly dropping out and yeah we do have the odd, the odd little issue um do you reckon it's good enough for us to to, to carry on I think, like, I think we covered some amazing stuff. Yeah. And yeah, Louisa, yeah. you've really shared with us um, quite a lot. Like, I, I suppose there's one other thing, or the one other question I'll ask you before we wrap mm -hmm. up. But, you know, we talked about, um, you know, desire for improvement. We talked about mentorship. We talked about um, mindsets. We talked about, um, you know, the benefits of, of managing your expectations and focuses comparing yourself to others like there's a shit ton of mm. like amazing content there that that i think that would probably be you know that almost could be a, this could be a two-part one on on, yeah. on, on something yeah. but i, I think yeah. if we continue to talk we could talk forever by the sounds of things but maybe this yeah. might be a good time to sort of um wrap up with a, a couple of short questions yes Okay, um, I was going to say, don't, don't, don't deny me the opportunity to ask the short questions. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe so, I'll ask one question, and then, and then Hubert can can wrap up with some short questions, and then, yeah. um, oh, that's a really good, oh, that's a really good one. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. So, oh God, you, am I supposed to be nervous? Are you going to ask me some ridiculous questions? No, 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 no. No, I don't think so. No, we've been pretty nice so far. <laughs> no. So, okay. So. You mentioned something at the start of the, of, of the actual podcast and you said um, a phrase which was veterinary science or your job is fun if you make it. Like yeah. that's something that resonates with me and I, I, I totally believe that you, mm -hmm. you're, the situation, you have an impact and control over the situation you're in the vast majority of the times. Stressful mm -hmm. situations can be seen as challenges that need to be overcome. Um, 
and you know you can definitely make situations more fun like what, what kind of things do you do to make situations fun for you um i think i mean by my nature and character um i'm ridiculous so i try and lighten up whoever i'm working with um do you mean specifically at work making things fun or mm. trying to get the most out of work yeah um I think I don't take things too seriously. So, you know, we'll do yeah, silly little things like you put silly dressings on animals or you talk in a stupid voice. So I, I don't know why it happens. It just comes out. <laughs> yeah. Come on, give, us, give, give us an example of a, stu- of a stupid know, voice. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I can't. Like, even my mom, and I'm, you know, I'm just shy of 30. My mom is like, Louisa, this is ridiculous. Stop. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think you've just got to, you've just got to, like, I, I mean, some practices don't, but we'll have music on. Um, like today, we had Christmas songs on whilst taking 20 teeth out of the Labrador, um, including all, all Carnassials. I'm just oh. going to put it out there. Oh, um, and I just, I don't know. I just think I, when I consult, I'm, I can be formal and sort of serious when I want to be, but I'm quite a personable person. So I make consultations a bit more relaxed and I'll, try and get the clients on my wavelength a little bit and I'll make jokes or be silly and they probably think I'm absolutely bizarre but um I just I try and be a bit more relaxed about things and, and then I'll go into serious vet mode if I need to but I think it's just so important to not you just, just gotta lighten up yeah you know if you think how many funny things happen in a day at veterinary in an, as a veterinary surgeon they are comedy a lot of the times like oh, the sounds what people say watching nurses have tantrums, you know, get <laughs> untangling all the ECG wires. You know, you've, you've, you've got... Oh, are you there? Oh, I'm back. Do yes, you... you're back. Yeah, we lost she you. She took another second. bite of a mince pie. Yeah, okay. No, I didn't, honestly. No, it sat here, peaceful in its little house or whatever. <laughs> it's like, little so you, you said um, untangling ECG leads and then after that? We, we lost you there. Yeah, so... So I just think, you know, that there are every day there will be something funny that happens, but you just have to, you just have, you just have to lighten up at work. That's what I think. You know, it's not, you know, make, make your consultations a bit more comedy. You know, well, I do. And clients won't think you're a lunatic. They feel more relaxed about it. No, I, I agree with you. That's a, it's a unique profession. There's definitely moments um, of, of potentially of chaos and stress when I look around the clinic and I go, geez, imagine you sitting at a desk all day reading reports you're not going to have this sort of fun in, in many other jobs or the, let's say no, this level not. of this level of crazy and how you interpret it is, is up no, to you i think it's just but like what other jobs do you get from going to like you li- morning like more happy coming to work christmas than it was an rta dog than it was doing consults and having really just normal boosters and normal chats then it was a cat in respiratory distress and then it was having a mindfulness meeting i mean you everything yeah yeah absolutely yeah. it's many things but it's not boring <laughs> it, definitely if anyone says their day is boring please change jobs yeah absolutely <laughs> All right well, should, we, should, we, should we move to the to the just, just to the last few little quick questions um, well, we'll start with a simple one. Have you got any favorite books that you that you that you recommend to people? It um, doesn't have to be vet related. I've just, um, well, I really loved Tattoo 
I don't know whether Tattoos of Auschwitz. Um, really great, really quick read. Cried. I've not cried at any books. Okay, cried. all right. Um, I love the Henry Marsh book. So he was a or is a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Um, and he um has written some amazing books. One was called Do No Harm, and he he chapters certain uh, neurology disorders and the cases around it, but it also has his successes and his fail or what he deems as his failures. And it's uh, I, I read, I think I read it in twenty four hours. It's brilliant. So um, Henry Marsh, do no harm. Yeah. And then his second one, which is admissions, a life and brain surgery, which is good. See, and that you know, I'm not I'm not a neurologist by any means, but I just think he writes like how we would and about his successes his downfalls his stresses his worries and, and they're really really good reads um and i'm sure everybody's read well what's that new one it's um this is going to hurt is it you heard of that one no oh what you guys <laughs> um this is going to hurt it's the um secret diaries of a junior doctor um gave up the profession okay uh, He's called Adam Kay, and he now is a comedy writer. It's really hilarious. It's also sad, yeah. but um, then goes through, you know, it's very relatable to us, how stressful it is yeah. trying to become, you know, get get higher up the ladder. Um, it's also, he works in gynecology, so you can imagine it. Uh-huh. Still hilarious. Um, but it's sad because of, he talks about people taking him to try and try and sue him, um, that he was depressed. And it's, it's that, that's, I think that's winning awards over here. You guys should get it or I'll send you a copy. Okay. And um, this is, this is going to hurt. It's fantastic. Okay. They're my favorite. So far. I that, that'll add that to the top of my reading list. I'm looking for. Yeah. Oh, read. I've Googled it. It's got 4.8 stars. Oh, okay. That's yeah. 95% of people on Google like this book. Okay. <laughs> oh, cool. You can't argue. All right, and I think then we'll wrap it up with with the, the one last one. Um, back to the to new graduate graduates and, and students. So you are in yeah. a in a lecture hall, and you've got all the new veteran graduates of the world in one room, and you've got a a minute or two to give them one message. What's your message? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> I think my message would be. Um, Mm, let me think i think it's just have have realistic expectations of what you're going to achieve when you begin mm-hmm. yeah it was kind of two things now and my more advice is just find somewhere where you will you know that you've got someone to learn from um and be there for you that's i, I genuinely think your first job that's going to shape who you're going to become. Um, yeah. And I think if you work with, oh, and be really nice to your nurses because if you're best friends with the nurses, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can be pretty much, you can get away with anything. Yeah. Um, I know it's not one thing. I think it's really hard one thing. I think there's a few things. I think it's just, you know, don't try and overdo it. You're going to get there. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you have done 10 bits space in the first two weeks. Yeah. You're, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's totally irrelevant. It just, just, doing things slowly and safely yeah. be friends with your nurses and, you know, just choose somewhere where you know, you're going to someone to be there for you and support you. That that's, that's going to be the thing that's going to, you know, help you the most. And realistic expectations. Mm. Oh yes. Yeah. Realistic yeah. expectations that please don't try and run before you. Yeah. 
Yeah. That, that comes that comes back with uh, that all kind of rolls together, right? If you had, yeah. if, if that one place had incredible support, just not from the the veterinary teams, you had a mentor which helped keep things into perspective. That would then manage your expectations, right? And then if you had a, a nursing team that was able to support you and keep you in check, because mm -hmm. like you know, vets we kind of have big heads and so forth, and nurses keep us <laughs> in check, then that is like gold. Yeah. I think a team yeah. and supportive environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I'm done with you. <laughs> okay. It's so lovely to meet you, Louisa. Thank you so much for your time again. Thanks so much. I think it's so fabulous that you we can you can just connect with people all over the world. I just think it's fab. Thank you so much for inviting me. No, no, thank you very much for coming along. And for those who don't follow Louisa on Instagram, you can find her on Instagram at Louisa underscore the underscore vet. Um, she's got a couple hundred posts there of, of clinical content, um, some holiday snaps as well. Um, and yeah, just, just an incredible uh, person to follow and inspiring and inspirational as well with her Instagram stories. And the, the books and places that she's been, we'll, we'll put in the link, um, yep. which we'll, we'll put together yep. and there'll be in the link and you can have a look down at the link below for the, for the books and the. Um, places where she's been to and, and suggests to go for crack work yep. and yeah thank you very much for making the time and it's 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 been an incredible hour thank you very much thank you so much oh, thanks so much guys thank you hi guys us again we promised you a bonus section and here it is so there's no point in us talking for hours to our guests and then you walking away with no action plan on how to implement what we've just learned. So we've created this post script that we call the Go Smasher Time. This is where we discuss some points to ponder and some steps to take. So here's what we think you can take from this episode. Take a moment to think back to why you wanted to be a vet. Try to keep this in mind when you have a tough day at work. Okay, and who do you call when you need help? For help when you've got a tricky case or just when you need some emotional support? If there's not an easy answer to this, if there's not a name or a friend's name or a colleague's name that pops up in your head, then consider asking somebody to officially be your mentor or join in an official mentoring program so that you have that lifeline. Pick one specific area that you want to get really good at work. This could be cardiology or eyelid surgery or client communication. So instead of being a generalist and wanting to be good at everything, it's actually better to spend time focusing on one particular area and getting good at that. So be a little specialist in that area. Focus all your extra reading, continuing education on that topic for the next three to six months, instead of just randomly selecting articles and, being, and generalizing things. Enroll in a course, or talk on this topic today. And finally, focus on making your work fun. It can be such a serious workplace environment and it's, it can just drain the energy out of you. So when you're feeling down, see if you can find an opportunity to add a little bit of silliness to your work environment. Gerardo, have you got any, any examples or any, any, any things that you, that you like to do to keep things light and keep things Actually, what we'll do is we'll include a list of things that you can do to create a positive team environment um, as a worksheet attached to this podcast.
Okay, excellent. Alrighty, that's us. We hope you enjoyed this interview nearly as much as we did. Now, go out there and do what you always wanted to do. Be vets. Help animals, you lucky things. You. Uh, take care of each other and find someone to take care of you. Keep learning, keep growing, and we'll see you next time. Wait, wait. But before you head off, head to the iTunes store and give us some feedback. We'd love to know how we're doing. And if you loved us, then we'd love a five-star review. And one last request. If you found value in what we discussed today, then chances are some of your friends and colleagues will too. So please share this podcast with three of them. Now, go smash it.